so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. Welcome to Great Minds and our guest today, and we are privileged to have our very first returning guest, uh, our dear friend, Warren Jensen. Warren was with us back in December of 2020. He was and is the president of LiveRamp, one of the companies that's truly leading the digital transformation that as an industry, we are very much in the midst of. So we are absolutely thrilled to have you back with us here on Great Minds. Uh, a heartfelt welcome to you, Warren. Well, Matt, thank you. It's a, a real pleasure for me to be with you. You know, obviously a lot has happened since 2020, so I think we've got a ton to talk about. We sure do. So let's start uh, what we were talking about a little before we started recording, and that's the journey of the last several years of leading uh, an organization the size of LiveRamp in a remote environment. That's a management challenge. It's an emotional challenge. Talk about how you've navigated that journey as the leader of a pretty big ship. You know, I'd say there have been a few things. One, uh, we've had to learn along the way. Uh, I would say, as we were talking before, you know, we started uh, recording this session, uh, the beginning of COVID for for me and for LiveRamp and probably for you too, you know, it was just filled with, you know, nonstop meetings. It was 12 hour days, 14 hour days, and we never took a break, you know, and, and somehow it felt like because we were working at home, we weren't working hard enough. And therefore it became longer days and all, you know, and many times Saturdays and Sundays. So, you know, number one for us was we had to find, you know, some normalcy in how we held meetings. Uh, two for me personally, and I think for many of my colleagues as well, uh, you know, I just had to schedule time, you know, where I could get away and go for a walk. Um, so for me, it was afternoons at two o'clock. Uh, I'd put my headphones in, maybe take a call, maybe not, but also just find a little bit of time away so that I could really keep myself uh, grounded uh, and uh, just uh, keep my spirit in the right, right place. I think the whole work-life balance issue has been redefined by the experience that we've gone through. And certainly our consciousness of it, our consciousness uh, around mental health is increased. But I think for leaders, you know, your job is to be up all the time. And you're sort of like the football coach in many respects. And I know for me, being in a similar position, uh, albeit with far less employees, Warren, uh, sometimes that's a little bit tough emotionally. I, um, you know, I would tend to agree. I, I think, though, one of the things that I know I have really tried to focus on uh, and even being remote with people is really, you know, continuing to try to build the personal connections, uh, because the one thing that hasn't gone away, whether or not I'm on Zoom or in person or on the phone, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's the need to connect, the need to create and maintain a connection 
uh, with your teams, with your employees, with your leadership. Uh, so one of the things that we're focused on is, again, whether it's remote or whether we're in person, is just maintaining really that tight personal connection. Uh, I think the second challenge, and, and believe me, I don't know that we have it figured out, Matt, is, you know, it's how do you create culture when you're not together? Uh, probably at LiveRamp over, now it's probably changed a little bit in the last, you know, few weeks, but, you know, more than half of our people had never been in the LiveRamp office. And half of our people had never had a session one-on-one -on -one in person with members of our key leadership team. Um, you know, for me, there were many employees that I had never met in person and I hadn't met in person for literally, you know, a couple of years. So we're really working with, you know, different ways and experimenting on how to really, you know, instill this culture and let people connect with, you know, the core and the spirit of who LiveRamp really is. Yeah, it's an amazing journey that we're going through. And there's a lot of talk around the future of work and what it all looks like. And uh, I'll tell you, I sure would have lost the bet on how well this has worked. Um, I never imagined that, you know, we could go through something like we are. And so many businesses have been challenged. Some have disappeared completely. But many technology-based businesses in particular have sort of figured it out and just you know, made the pivot, you know, whatever one of those trite words we want to use, but um, it's worked a hell of, hell of a lot better than I certainly thought it would. I, I would you know, completely agree. And, you know, my two cents on this topic is we're not going back. You know, we will get together. I mean, I've obviously in the last several months as COVID has is, is relaxed a little bit, we've had in-person meetings, but we're not going back to the old way. Uh, we will be uh, highly remote. Uh, there'll be times where we will get together as teams, which is very, very important. Uh, I still think for leadership teams, it's incredibly important to get together. Uh, and the one thing that I, th I think, you know, we don't quite have figured out in the remote environment, Matt, it's the spontaneity. Um, I know it was, it was really interesting for me this week. Um, I came in and uh, our CEO, Scott Howe, was in his office uh, here in San Francisco. And during the course of the day, I walked in probably three or four times to his office and we had a conversation about ideas or things that were incredibly important. Uh, that sort of spontaneity is really hard to, to create when you're just sending a, a message over Slack. Um, and so I think that's something that we still have to work on. And, uh, you know, one of the challenges yeah, and you talked about connection, and we're going to get to LiveRamp and what you're doing to power growth through connection, but that connection to people that you reference is so important, and, and I, I agree with you. Uh, uh, you know, the definition of what we're doing now, recording on Zoom as we are, is it's scheduled, right? It appears on your calendar, but so much of the good stuff is what isn't scheduled. The stuff that just happens because you're looking out your office door or window as I am now and I see, you know, Louise out there who runs for New York and that I can say, hey, Louise, I just thought of something, you know, let's sit down for a few minutes. Uh, I, I wonder if, if we aren't missing the boat a little bit too much on how important the unplanned is. I, I completely agree. I've, I've, and, and again, I don't, I don't know if this is a true statement or not, but you know, it was interesting when we were talking about coming into the office, everybody said, well, if I'm going to come in, I need an agenda. 
And we want to know, you know what we're doing at 10 o'clock in the morning, what we're doing at 2 o'clock, what we're doing at 4 o'clock. And I, I made the point that, you know, that's great. We should 100% have an agenda for when we come in. But it's also important just to be together for those unplanned moments, because it's in those unplanned moments that you can share an idea, uh, you can settle something that you kind of upset you or you thought you heard this way and the other person probably intended something very different. Uh, so again, I, I think those uh, time together should be both planned and it should also be a little bit of unplanned too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And just uh, as we start to leave this topic, uh, but I wonder aloud, Warren, you've had CFO positions and been in the C-suite at four of the greatest companies this country's ever produced, going back to NBC when you were CFO there in the early 90s and 10 years as CFO at Delta, Amazon, EA. I'm sure you were in a lot of you know, war rooms at various times uh, when you're CFO of companies of that scale and significance. Were there any lessons that you reflect on from the C-suite experience at those companies that came back in a different way the last few years as you lead LiveRamp? Boy, that, that is such a good question. And uh, probably I'll answer it maybe a couple of different ways because I've gotten a lot of questions uh, in the course of, you know, particularly as we start talking about recession and economic fears, uh, about you know, what happened at Amazon 20 years ago when it had to become profitable and the capital markets had, had closed. Uh, but for me, you know, some of the more important lessons that I've learned from some of the great leaders that I've worked with, um, and I'll, I'll share experience at EA and then also working with Jack Welch at, at General Electric. Uh, one day at, at EA, we were sitting in our, you know, manager, our boardroom, and one of our senior leaders came in, and this particular individual, you know, made the comment, he said, my job is to make every decision that my team makes better. And what I said to him at the time is I said, you know what, I, I think you've got it exactly wrong. And I reflected back to a lesson that I had learned from, uh, from Jack Welch. And what, what Jack Welch did, he was incredibly demanding, as everybody knows. Uh, but at the same time, Jack created an environment where it made it possible for you to go do things you never even dreamed that you ever could. And it was that em em environment that created greatness. It was that environment that created growth, that created empowerment. Uh, it also, you know, created an incredible bond. So with, um, you know, with GE, yes, it was an incredibly demanding place in the 90s. But at the same time, it was a real fraternity. You know, people were together because we all shared that common vision of, you know, really being in an environment where you could go do things that you never even dreamed that were possible. So for me today at LiveRamp, you know, that is what we try to do with, you know, our teams too, is really create an environment that they can too go do things that they never even dreamed were possible. Um, let me talk next a little bit about Amazon. Uh, the question I've gotten from many uh, uh, people is, man, how did you do it at Amazon? How did Amazon make the tough decisions when it was in its darkest days? You know, and for many probably on this podcast, you don't remember that, you know, in the year 2000, everybody thought Amazon was going broke. Uh, 
the share price had gone to $7. Uh, people were predicting its demise. Uh, analysts were flocking away from, you know, from the company. And uh, basically, you know, we changed things incredibly quickly. And there were a few things that were really, really important to that transformation that took place that I think are applicable no matter where your company is in your life cycle or if you're planning for a recession. Uh, the first thing is that leadership, really led by Jeff, you know, kept its vision. And it was always about the long-term strategy. We never lost sight of that. The second thing is we got to really ground zero very quickly. And we really understood what our issues were and also what our opportunities were at the same time. And so what that did was we knew the problems that we were solving. You know, we knew the problems for which we were solving. And you know, I've said here with the team, you know, just the other day is, man, if you're gonna fire bullets, you know, you got to do it really accurately and make sure that you're really hitting the key issues and going after the key opportunities. And then third, I'd say that we focus not only on cost, but also on growth and revenue. You know, the key to transformation and the key to success is never just a cost equation. It also has to be number one strategy, number two, uh, and number two growth, and then third cost. And then finally, we moved uh, with some urgency. Uh, what that looked like at, at Amazon, well, we did something incredibly revolutionary at the time. You know, the move to bring used merchandise into Amazon.com, that was completely, you know, out of the box. Nobody ever thought in retail you would ever put a piece of used goods next to, you know, something that you were trying to sell new. Uh, from there, it was easy to say, well, gee, if we're selling used goods, why not let third-party merchants you know, also sell, uh, sell at Amazon. Uh, we started to think about the platform differently and say, gee, you know, we know that a lot of companies are losing a lot of money with e-commerce. Why don't we go do a joint venture with Toys R Us and a joint venture with Target in order to better utilize our platform? Uh, and all those decisions, you know, took place very, very quickly. And fortunately, the company was able to execute on all those decisions, you know, in a very short period of time. Um, and that time, you know, ended up being, you know, incredibly transformational for Amazon.com. And, you know, obviously a, a lot of time has passed since then, but, um, you know, that was when Amazon found bedrock and it became, started to become the company, company that it is today. Fantastic answer. And, and, and uh, you can really see how the sum of those experiences uh, I, I would think that's quite a memory bank, if you will, to draw upon when you need to make a deposit, uh, if you will, to handle a current challenge or problem. That's a lot of experience and hard decision making to draw upon in the memory bank. You know what? I feel incredibly fortunate uh, to have worked at the places that I have and to have worked with the, the leaders that I've had the opportunity uh, to work with. Uh, I would tell you, though, there's incredible, you know, memories. There's also a few scars and a few broken bones and, you know, a lot to go with it. You know, a, a, a lot of a lot of those decisions and things we had to do weren't easy and and uh, required a lot of change. So, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, b b battle scars. I think, uh, you know, in retrospect, nothing that was awful ever seems as awful years later. But uh, all of us have them. So I know what you mean. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I mean, for me, Matt, is I always say I only remember the romantic. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I don't. I don't remember any of any of the, the the tough times. Yeah, it's like in golf. I'll remember the three good shots and forget the eighty-seven poor ones. <laughs> So let's uh, go deeper in our first uh, go round with you, Warren. We talked a lot about your journey. I'd like to spend more of our time on uh, the return of Warren Jensen on digging deeper on Live Ramp. And I thought it might be a, an interesting place to start talking about your safe haven enterprise platform and the work that you're doing there with safety at the forefront with first party data, of course, uh, endemic to everything you're doing, and talk a little about what you're doing there to power growth through connection, and in particular, the Safe Haven Enterprise platform. Uh, I'd be happy to. Um, and let me back up for a little bit. And you know, first of all, what is the Safe Haven platform? The Safe Haven platform is a privacy safe platform that enables data collaboration and activation. So, you know, a really good use case that you'll see for the platform and where it's being used by, you know, pretty much 70% of big box retail in the US and many large global retailers too, is it's the platform that they use to power their retail media networks. Uh, and then also collaboration with their partners. Um, why is this a big deal and why is data collaboration, you know, such a big deal? And, and I'll go back uh, uh, and talk a little bit about Amazon. Uh, we were sitting, I guess it was even, you know, five or six years ago with some of the senior leadership at Carrefour. And we started talking about collaboration. And there were two experiences that I had in my career that were super relevant to our vision for how this platform got created. Uh, Number one was at Delta. And if you think about the airline industry, the airline industry for years really had the need to consolidate. Uh, but mergers were incredibly difficult, you know, given the labor related issues. And so they never happened. And what the airlines did was they did the next best thing. And it was called code share. And code share worked for three reasons. You know, number one, and this is first and foremost, and really key to data collaboration too, is it was great for the consumer. So anytime you're thinking about collaboration and data, you know, I always say, and I'd say it a million times, is the consumer has to be at the center of your vision as to why you're doing it. But then also, uh, CodeShare worked for another two reasons, and I'll use Delta as the example, is it was great for Delta. Delta made more money. Uh, and then third reason was, you know, take a, their, uh, one of their partners, Air France. Air France also made money. So the consumer had expanded choice. They loved it. But at the same time, it was good for everybody involved. And so speaks collaboration, too. You know, it really has to be a win, number one, for the consumer and your customer. But number two, it needs to be good for both parties that are collaborating. The second set of experiences that were really relevant to the creation of this platform and why it was in so incredibly strategic is I'm going to start off with a statement that data is the key to great customer experiences. And if you think about Amazon as the example, and this is something that you know, I learned a long, long time ago, is and it's gotten you know, crazy in, in terms of the number of data contact points that Amazon today has with the consumer. But the data-driven set of connections that Amazon, you know, doesn't, you know, necessarily start with your first visit to Amazon.com. It starts with Amazon Associates. 
you know, then it might be your visit to buy a new book at Amazon, but then you might sell a book and then you maybe, you know, buy a book through a third party merchant. And every one of those, you know, experiences is creating a tighter connection between the company and the consumer. And so what we set out to do was to go to a company like Carrefour or any other large traditional retailer and just ask ourselves, okay, well, how do you go about connecting your sphere of influence? Because your sphere of influence is a lot bigger than simply a visit to the store, you know, next Friday. Uh, it could be in your loyalty program, but it's also in your connection to your thousands of suppliers. So we set out to build a platform that said, okay, how are we gonna replicate using technology this strategic advantage that Amazon had in the, in the digital world? And out of that really came our Safian platform for data collaboration. And I love that you put the word safe in the title. Uh, you know, this is one of the biggest issues facing our industry. And what LiveRamp seems to have cracked Warren, better than most, if not everybody, is that balance of really leveraging first party data in a brilliant way and helping people grow their businesses, but doing it in a safe haven. And in your case, literally safe haven. Well, you know, uh, I'm glad you made this point, Matt, is, is privacy is number one and the consumer is number one. And we've always said at LiveRamp that, you know, we don't try to work our way around, you know, the privacy rules, we embrace them. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in creating our safe haven platform, it was really done, you know, in Europe. We did it right on top of the implementation of GDPR with some of the most, you know, the strictest privacy standards. So uh, number one, you know, the consumer is critically important. Number two, privacy, every bit as much so. Fantastic stuff. Let's stay where we are for a moment. And we've been talking about retail and retail media without question, one of the fastest growing channels today. Talk about the role LiveRamp is playing with retail media, which you touched on. And who out there do you think is doing sort of best in class work? Um, let me start a little bit with uh, best in class. I think, I think there are pockets of excellence everywhere. Uh, Target is doing a great job, you know, and that's pretty much on the retail media side. Uh, Kroger's does a great job and you could even focus, you know, them on what they're doing in their data analytics side. Uh, I'd cite one of the most innovative uh, companies though in the world and that's really Carrefour. Uh, Carrefour basically went all in and they you know established a really aggressive plan for their digital transformation over a period of years they launched this uh at an analyst day i think you know a little maybe about 12 months or so ago uh and one of the core parts to their digital transformation was th their retail media network and how they intended to collaborate with their customers globally and so for them, what makes it so innovative is yes, there's a retail media side to it, but there's also really deep collaboration with their supplier partners. And they did something which was even further unique is they said, hey, you know what, we're gonna open up our entire set of transactional information at a SKU level and make that available to our supplier partners. You know, and if you think of the history of retail, 
typically, you know, this information was guarded, you know, the parse it out in, you know, very small pieces because, you know, things, you know, they just felt were, you know, incredibly proprietary or might advantage them in their negotiation when they were, you know, constructing their big trade deals. Uh, but I think Carrefour took a big step forward and really said, hey, you know what, we're going to really combine both retail media and really, a, you know, detailed SKU level analytics and availability of the transaction data to uh, all of our CPG partners. And then finally, uh, they're doing it, doing it on an unprecedented level. Uh, and that is, and they operate in nine different countries in the world. So this wasn't, you know, just an experiment in France or in Spain. It's really something that they're doing in every market in which they operate. Well, I love that you built products off the toughest standards, uh, which come out of the EU and that you're putting privacy first, which is, uh, not everybody in our industry does. And I love that you do. Let's talk as sort of a backdoor way to do something we probably should have done at the top, which is just sort of benchmark Live Ramp 2022. But one of the things that is also unique about you is you help brands, you help agencies and publishers with their digital transformation. You're in every camp. Let's use that, Warren, as sort of a setup to painting the picture of Live Ramp 2022, which is a little bit different than when we first spoke back in December of 2020. Yeah, that's a boy. That's again such a, a really good question. I, I, let me start with you know what how what we view as our vision, what we help companies do. So what we help companies do, and made many of the largest companies in the world, is safely use data to really deliver better and more personalized experiences for their customers. So it all starts and ends there. Now, what's happened between 2020 and today is how you do that you know, is changing. Uh, and where you do it, what your marketing stack may look like is changing very dramatically. Uh, you know, so for us, it, it went from say identity and onboarding to building our safe haven collaboration platform and then allowing for all of our customers to use this platform to, to directly uh, activate an audience, you know, which was and continues to be a game changer uh, for companies not only in North America, but uh, JD.com in, in, uh, in, in China is an example. Uh, you know, so really it's, uh, it's happening every, everywhere. I think the other big change for us, and this is an ongoing effort, um, I think as you know, Matt, one of the hallmarks of LiveRamp is our neutrality. Uh, we don't buy or sell media, but we're also cloud agnostic. And so what we're you know, learning to do is to work more closely with all of our cloud partners, uh, whether that's Google, uh, whether it's Snow, uh, whether it's Amazon or whether it's Microsoft, uh, you really need to be able to go where the data lives and to effectively work with the big data warehouses and the public clouds. Absolutely fantastic. And if we were going to pinpoint, Warren, and say, what's the singular thing? Let's put COVID aside, a non-COVID answer, please. What's the singular biggest evolution transformation? You pick the word live ramp today versus give or take two years ago. 
Uh, I would use two words. I would say, um, first of all, collaboration. Uh, collaboration, we are in the early innings as to what is going to happen in really very safe, consumer-friendly data collaboration, that, that number one. Uh, the second word that I would use is cloud. Um, I think even going back, you know, obviously the, the clouds were present in 2020, but uh, that is moving very, very quickly. Uh, in fact, I'd say, you know, one of the predictions that I would have is that what you're going to see is in, you know, the next year over the next five years is the marketing stack is going to be the public is going to be the cloud, the public clouds. Fantastic. And let's talk about a, a topic that is uh, dominant globally in the industry. And I'd love to get your take on it because you have genuine uh, insights and experience here. Let's talk about the topic of cross media measurement for a moment. Big, big topic for the WFA, for the ANA, for the forays, the IAB, uh, the big Silicon Valley players. Nielsen continues to evolve in different ways. Uh, talk about that topic and your perspective. And is it something, Warren, that you think the industry can really crack or is this destined to continue to be a point of controversy and contention? Well, I think change takes a while, but you know, inevitably it has to happen. Um, everybody, you know, particularly today, you know, you think about all of us, you know, having a little bit of an uncertain economic environment in front of us. Uh, you need to make your media accountable, and you want your media accountable wherever it lives. Uh, and in order to do that, you have to have really independent and verifiable measurement. So uh, I think it's a trend that, you know, it's been in existence for a long time, but it is going to continue to be a trend and you need to be able to do cross screen measurement, you know, wherever your media lives, uh, you need to make it accountable. Uh, again, why is that important? Obviously it's, you know, important because you want to get the right results. But again, I, I look at this always through a strategic lens. And if I'm CEO or if I'm the CMO, or anybody, CFO, it doesn't really matter what your, you know, your C title is, is if your competitor is doing this better than you are, and you know, if they have a stronger data-driven relationship with a consumer than you do, if they're better using their media dollars than you are in a more accountable way, uh, well, you're, get, you're, you're getting behind and you'll continue to fall behind and ultimately lose share. So, uh, I don't have a, you know, a set time and prediction for when this all magically happens, but uh, it is 100% going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'd also make, you know, I guess one final point on this one, you know, I'll come back to, you know, the, the example that I used at, at Carrefour of saying, okay, replicating the strategic advantage, you know, that Amazon created, you know, in the digital world 20 years ago. Well, if you're a traditional retailer or any company for that matter, you know, you've got to look at your digital competitors and see what they can do to effectively measure, you know, their media and how their dollars are spent. Uh, and you need to do exactly the same thing. I think this is such a fascinating topic. And uh, we, I'm sure we all read the same stuff about Netflix and going to an ad supported version of netflix and i think i heard i don't know that this is true but i think i heard that they said aloud there will be no third-party verification of their data 
And I thought that was pretty ballsy, even for someone like Netflix. Yeah, um, I, you know, I won't comment specifically on anything, obviously, that Networks is doing, but I do think independent measurement is really a big deal. Uh, yeah. You don't like, you know, uh, people grading their own homework. Uh, and I know, you know, the brands that we work with, you know, want independent measurement. And so, uh, you know, my two cents is uh, you got to make it independent. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, so let's uh, talk to uh, CMOs. One of the things that LiveRamp does so brilliantly is you are powering growth. The problem that the CMO community has at large, and every year there's more data about the tenure of CMOs continuing to shrink, uh, is that evolution of marketing as a cost center to a revenue driver. LiveRamp is really helping drive growth. Can we dig in a little bit? Uh, if you were an advisor to the World Federation of Advertisers, what do you think CMOs could be doing better to change that perception? And perhaps your old CFO hat is useful yeah. here. Uh, as well. I don't want to get into a conversation about procurement, but if you are Nero and uh, your uh, empire in Rome is full of chief marketing officers, what advice would you give to them? Well, I'd, uh, a couple of things come to mind for me immediately. Uh, first of all, you have to bring together the old and the new. Uh, you know, so it could be traditional media with digital. You know, I'd say, okay, that's pretty obvious. Uh, the second thing that you need to be as a CMO is you've got to be technically savvy. So I think a big change that, you know, has happened over the course of, I don't know, the last, you know, five plus years is just the importance of really understanding technology. So I'll come back to something that I, I said earlier. Data is the key to great customer experiences. If you are CMO of a global brand uh, or any company, it could be, you know, the local florist. Uh, you really have to have a data-driven relationship with your customer and you have to make every interaction that you have with them and every dollar that you spend, you need to make it accountable. And that really requires, you know, that you be technically aware because the CMOs, you know, has to show up in the procurement decision. You know, if you can't show up in the procurement decision around the use of a, you know, given technology and really be adept in talking about the pluses and minuses, you know what, again, you're not going to be, you know, very long for that job. I can and guarantee that and your company, you know, will fall, fall behind. Uh, the final thing that I'd, I'd say on this point is if you think about, you know, most companies, um, we started off with, you know, there was the, you know, the, the mother company. And then all of a sudden this thing, you know, called the Internet happened. And then we set up, you know, the digital department. And so digital was separate from the mothership. Well, you know, change number one, you know, that's happened and again, it's not happened everywhere yet is those two worlds came together because they're one in the same. Uh, you and I and everybody else listening to this has physical interaction, but we also have digital interaction. It's one world to, to the consumer. And so companies have brought together, you know, the digital and the traditional worlds of their, their companies. The second thing that is about to happen uh, in my estimation, and I think retail could in some instances really be leading the way, it's bringing together the worlds of marketing and data science. 
And, you know, that is, you know, come back to collaboration. You know, that's what collaboration enables. It enables the worlds of marketing and the world of data science coming together. So the CMO, you know, not only has to, you know, be at one with, you know, the, the media plan and the marketing plan, but they really have to be in a position to know how effectively to work with and, and really, you know, incorporate data science into everything they do. Um, so the next two silos to come together, I would predict are, are marketing and that of data science. Great, great stuff, Warren. So let, let's ask an old school question. To me, great advertising evokes emotion. Whether it makes you laugh, whether it makes you cry, it makes you think, but it evokes some emotional response. Today, so much of the emphasis of our industry and our marketing dollars is exactly where you said it is, which is that intersection that crosses into data science. Is there still a place, Warren, in this ecosystem for the big creative idea? Boy, I, I you know, in my, my view, and gosh, I, this is where I think my, you know, different set of experiences comes into play. You know, it was from my years working at NBC, you know, in all of the must-see TV years, uh, my experiences at Amazon, Delta, you know, all of which, you know, are huge consumer brands as, as was, or as is electronic arts. And I, I think it, I, I, there's always a place for great creative. I mean, great creative creates a great result. Uh, uh, and I, I think about, gosh, let's go back to, you know, the early days of, of Amazon. Uh, Amazon, you know, did something that created great emotion and consumers loved it. And it was this email called, I think you might like. And then all of a sudden, everybody's going, man, this is crazy. You know, I just got an Amazon, you know, an email from Amazon and it talked, you know, to me at the time about, you know, a new CD or a new book or a, you know, recommendation and consumers loved it. And you know what, for Amazon, it also created a great result. I think if I remember correctly, and I probably have all my numbers wrong and, and they're, not, they're not all that important, but, you know, there was something like a 35% conversion on those, you know, I think you might like emails. So I'd, you know, call that, you know, technology, but there was some really great creative that, you know, consumers really liked. So great creative, you know, is goes hand in hand in my mind with data. And it also goes, you know, hand in hand with um, accountable media too. So there's so much change. Uh, Live ramp is right smack in the middle of it. Navigating change is a big part of your career and what you're doing now. But for you, what do you think the singular most exciting thing that's happening in our industry right now? Well, I'll give you maybe three things to think about. Um, the first thing is I'd make the prediction that retail media is, will become mainstream, not only across retail, but across every other vertical too. You know, this is really an opportunity for companies to better use their data in a more effective way and also, you know, able to open up some really interesting new revenue streams. So I think retail media goes mainstream. Uh, it also starts to cut across many other verticals. And we're, by the way, we're already seeing that happen. Uh, two, I think uh, it's always been, a, a, you know, a, a something that people have said. 
but I think uh, marketing stack simplification is going to become even a bigger deal. When I'm out talking to CMOs, uh, regardless of where I go, you know, there's always a, a constant refrain is, you know, I'm spending too much on my infrastructure. We've got 250 million applications that we use and we just need to simplify our stack. And I think this will be an era where things will, will simplify. And then the third thing that I'd say, which is again, a, a big focus of, of LiveRamp uh, is that the cloud data warehouses will increasingly become the marketing stack for brands. Uh, and that's going to create change and it's going to create a lot of opportunities. And then finally, I'd say big picture is, I think we've only scratched really how to effectively use data. Again, I'm going to come back to, you know, almost where we started with the conversation to create better customer experiences, to create a tighter bond with your customer, to create, you know, tighter loyalty. I think that's only going to change. Uh, and then finally, I would, you know, come back to a little bit, you know, the point on retail media is collaboration uh, is going to be a necessity and will be a, uh, a real important uh, capability that every brand, regardless of industry, you know, will incorporate into how they think about approaching the consumer. Well, I love this chance, Warren, for us to really dig deep on a lot of this. LiveRamp plays such a central role in the contemporary ecosystem, helping brands and agencies and publishers navigate and transform their businesses. Uh, we love having you as a partner with us everywhere we go. And uh, I love getting a second chance, uh, a second bite of the Warren Jensen apple, if you will. Let's close by agreeing now to do this again in a year. Give us a topic that we didn't go over today that in your Warren Jensen crystal ball, you think we might be talking about as a pretty big topic, 2023. Well, I think I've, I've given you three that were really interesting things that will happen you know, in the next year. You know, First of all, retail media going mainstream. Secondly, simplification of the marketing stack. And then third, really just how the clouds come into play in where the marketing stack will be housed. So I'd love to talk about those three things uh, in a year. Uh, the other word that I'll add to that, uh, which I am incredibly excited about, is for a global brand, it's been very, very difficult to have a consistent approach uh, to marketing and to the use of data and you know, to, you know, to marketing in, in, in every geography in the world. And today, through collaboration, through cookie-less solutions like our authenticated traffic solution at LiveRamp, a brand can have a global approach and the same approach in every market in which they operate. So the fourth topic I'd, I'd love to talk to you about uh, in a year is that of uh, globalization and you know, really what's happening around the world uh, to drive a consistent approach with, with the consumer. And then I, I'm gonna add one, one more is we're gonna talk about the recovery in a year. We're not gonna be talking about the recession. Great, great. Well, Warren, this has been an absolute joy to get a, a second opportunity to talk to you. 
uh, Warren Jensen, the return as we will bill the episode. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. I hope in the fall uh, next month, actually, at Advertising Week. October is just around the corner. And I can't thank your team enough. Uh, They've been wonderful to work with, as always. Uh, And uh, I just love having you on Great Minds. Well, you know what, Matt? It's a a real pleasure for me. And it's uh, awesome to work with you and awesome to work with your organization. Uh, You mentioned that you're a global partner of LiveRamp and you 100% are and you're 100% value add to everything that we do. So uh, thank you so much for your partnership and for having me on today. And I look forward to talking in a year. Seeing you you in person before then, but uh, back on the podcast in a year. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.